Okay, everyone, if you'd like to uh, start um, heading back to your seats, then we can, uh, we can open up the, uh, the passage that Dara read for us uh, earlier from 1 Peter chapter 3. And as you're, uh, as you're heading back to your seats and finding, finding your Bibles, finding uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, some of you, I think, will probably know that um, during the week, uh, I, I'm a scientist, or I at least trained as a scientist before I got dragged off into IT and then moving people's timesheets around. Um, one, of the, one, of the, one of my favorite things about being a scientist, or at least when I get to pretend to be a scientist, is when we get to go out and do, uh, do events and we get to play with some pretty cool toys. Um, if you've ever been in the museum in Galway and to the top floor, you'll have seen one of my favorite ones, which is a, a globe where we project kind of bits from the ocean, like uh, models and, and some information. Um, we actually did a visualization there that got onto the BBC one time, so that was, that was one of the most exciting things that, that we've worked on. But sometimes it's great when you get children at these things and you've got something really simple that you can show them, like a magnet, where you know how a magnet works and you've got two magnets and you, you put the positive and the negative poles together and it goes pulls together really fast and sticks together. But then you turn negative to negative or positive to positive and you push and you push and you push and you don't get a connection. They just repel and oppose so that you can never quite get them to meet. That's a little bit like what we're gonna talk about this morning. As we go through our Christian lives, there are going to be people, probably people inside a church who we get really attracted to, who we, like those um, opposite poles, we kind of make that connection and we jump together and we, we're happy together. But there are people who will oppose, who we'll never quite get face to face with, we'll never quite meet together. They'll make, probably be more outside, particularly in the passage that we're talking about today. And that's where Peter's talking about. We're going to find suffering. As we live as Christians, that, that lack of attraction, that magnet, magnetic poles hitting each other, that repulsion will cause suffering as we live out our Christian lives. And so this morning... We're going to ask three questions as we go through this passage. Will we face opposition and suffering as we live out our Christian lives? How, when we face that opposition and suffering, should we face it? And why? Why should we have hope when we face that opposition? Now, I'm going to ask you just to uh, join me in prayer again uh, for a second as we, as we start to open up the, the verses together um, so that we can, we can ask God to help us to understand. Father God, uh, just as we come to think about these verses together, I need your help to uh, be able to explain these verses. And Lord, I just pray that you would, uh, you would give me the right words to say and that you'd help me to explain these verses clearly. Lord, I pray that you would speak uh, through me, that, that everybody here would hear from you this morning. Lord, that we would 
be able to think about what these verses mean to us and how we might be able to um, put some practical steps in place in our lives to respond to the verses uh, that, that we're reading through this morning. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to uh, help us to understand how to respond when we face these times of opposition and suffering that uh, the passage is talking about this morning, Lord. And so I just pray you'd help us to, to understand and to apply your word to our lives. Amen. So if, uh, if you have 1 Peter chapter 3 there, you'll see that Peter starts with a question. Now, who is there to harm you if you were zealous for what is good? And this is supposed to be a bit of a rhetorical question. It's, actually, it's not one that we're supposed to shout out an answer to. But Peter's going to build his way through to saying, well, actually, there's nobody. Actually, nobody can harm you if you are zealous for what is good, if you're living a, a godly life, if you're following God and following Jesus. Because he's going to build through to verses 18 to 22 and finally to verse 22. Jesus has gone into heaven. Jesus is sat at the right hand of God and everything, angels, authorities, powers, have been subjected to Jesus. Who is there to harm you? If you remember one thing from this morning's service, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? No one, because Jesus is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subjected to him. But Peter carries on in verse 14. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So now he's saying, well, okay, there is no one to harm you because he's got this long-term eternal view. But, but you might face suffering now. And actually, we could take that even if you suffer for righteousness sake, to even when you suffer for righteousness sake. There's not a, there's not a kind of question here that Peter's saying, this, this is something that, that may happen. It's kind of something that, that is like completely out of, out of the ordinary, something completely unexpected. Even when you suffer for righteousness sake. Even when you come into a, a relationship outside in the world and you find those, those magnetic poles don't meet, they repel and you find suffering, you will be blessed. And so Peter goes on, have no fear of them. Well, maybe that's all right for Peter to say, but Surely that's our kind of natural response, isn't it? When we're, when we're facing people who are opposing us, people who are bringing suffering into our lives, our natural response is more one of fear, isn't it? It's more one where we, where we don't want to be in those situations. So how? How are we to have no fear of them, nor be troubled by these situations, by these people, by the by the people who bring suffering as we live for righteousness' sake. Well, what does Peter say? 
There's three things that I want us to notice from, um, from verses uh, um, 14 uh, through to 17 here. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. First of all, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Focus on Jesus. Peter says, honor Jesus as holy. Now, there are days, maybe even weeks, when that focus on Jesus is something that for me is really hard. I'm prone to just kind of forgetting about Jesus and to losing that focus. It's something that I struggle with. So where do we join together in finding that focus, in encouraging each other as a family, as Dara prayed, as siblings in Christ, in finding that focus on Jesus so that we can go through our Christian lives together, encouraging each other not to have fear, not to be troubled by these kinds of situations that Peter is talking about. We can do it here, can't we? We can join together on a Sunday morning and we can encourage each other. But that's not the only time, is it? We need to be encouraging each other uh, day by day as well and encouraging each other together during the week. Again, as we prayed, as a family, kind of getting together and it not just being about connecting together on a Sunday morning for an hour, we can't really encourage each other and f- help each other to focus on Christ together if we're doing that, and that's our only contact. So I've found it really helpful when I get together to meet a couple, uh, every kind of couple of weeks with um, Jason and Will and Porrick, and that's been really helpful for me to focus on Jesus and to, to encourage that focus on Jesus. And then Will and I have been meeting with a guy um, from Furbo Church to do a Bible study. And that's been really helpful for me as well to kind of bring that focus on Christ. And it helps to build our relationships together so that we can pray for each other better. We can share better these times of suffering so we can encourage each other uh, when we're facing trouble, suffering, opposition. So focus on Christ and encourage each other together to focus on Christ. Secondly, Peter says, always be prepared. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that's in you. Am I prepared to do that today? Are you prepared if somebody, if somebody comes into the car park at the end of church as you're getting into your car and says to you, what were you doing in that building and why? Why is it something that you want to do? Are you prepared to answer that question? And if you are, how are you going to do it? Are you, are you going to get defensive? Are you going to be maybe a little bit aggressive about it? Or are you going to do it with gentleness and respect, as Peter asks us to do? And this ties in a little bit with what we were hearing last week. Having sympathy and brotherly love and a tender heart. Now we're called 
to respond with gentleness and respect. The fruit of the Spirit, as we sang about it, or gentleness. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to prepare. And so as we're having coffee after the service, find somebody who you know and prepare. Talk to each other, not about the weather, not about the football for this afternoon. Prepare. Talk to each other about why you have this hope so that you can be prepared. Be prepared. Focus on Christ. Be prepared. And have a good conscience, Peter says. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So this isn't, this isn't Peter saying, have a fuzzy feeling about yourself inside. We're going to come back to the same phrase a little bit later on. But here, he's talking about practicing repentance. He's talking about being counted as holy before God. And so, it's about how we, how we respond to people. He is again going into this gentleness and respect, not being sinful in how we repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, as he's already said at the, the top of this uh, section in verse 8 again, not responding like that. Respond with gentleness and respect. And when we know that we've sinned, coming before God and practicing repentance. And so these are three, three areas that we can apply these verses. Focus on Christ, be prepared, and practice repentance. And then Peter says, even through all of this, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter says, carry on being that magnet. Carry on being that thing that, okay, maybe you are putting tension in some relationships, opposition in some relationships, but that is better than flipping over and sticking to something that causes you to sin, causes you to do evil. So we've seen that there are going to be times when we could face opposition, when we will suffer as we live out our Christian life. We've seen that we can respond to it through focusing on Christ, being prepared with that response for why we have a hope in Christ and through practicing repentance. But why should we have hope? Why should we have hope as we face this suffering? We're going to go on and have a look at verses 18 to 22. In 2005, through the summer, the greatest cricket series that has ever been played was played. Now, you probably don't know anything about cricket. There's an old reggae song that goes, I don't like cricket. I love it. I love cricket. I love watching cricket. And in 2005, England played Australia in the, in the Ashes, which is the most important series of cricket matches in the world. 
for the tiniest little trophy, okay? <laughs> Throughout the summer, it was swinging across between who was going to win, England or Australia. There were bodies broken by playing cricket. You might not expect this. There were people who played in that series, that series alone for England, never played again. They were at the pinnacle of their athletic ability, never played international cricket again, broken, suffering as they went through. In the end, England won, and they won the tiny little trophy. But between the final match in London, when they were able to celebrate on the pitch with the fans around them, they'd won. But then there was the ultimate celebration. A few weeks later, as they were driven, the England cricket team were driven by open-top bus through London, holding aloft as millions of people congregated on the streets, holding aloft the tiny Ashes trophy. There was a period where they'd won, and they knew they'd won, and they had victory, but there was still a final celebration, the ultimate celebration to come. We're not celebrating winning a cricket series. We're not celebrating a tiny, tiny trophy. But victory has already been won over evil, over sin, over death. And then there is going to be an ultimate celebration on the final day in heaven. And so Peter is going to show us now that this victory has been won. And we can celebrate that the victory is won. And we're just in that, we're in that gap until we get to that final celebration. So in verse 18, Peter says, For Christ also suffered, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus suffered once on the cross for sins. The righteous, the one who was not sinful, who had no sin, he suffered in my place. The unrighteous, the sinner, the one who doesn't focus on him, the one who turns his back on him. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. This is a key verse in our understanding of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a real nice summary that Peter gives us here of what we believe about Jesus' death and resurrection and why it's so important. But you notice the, second, the third word there of verse 18. For Christ also suffered. Now, Peter isn't saying here, well, you're, you're, you're suffering so that you can, you can uh, make atonement for your sins, you can pay for your sins. He's saying that as we follow Jesus, 
we also might suffer. As we follow our Lord, our Master, we might go some of the way to where he went before us in suffering. And so, again, we see that there might be this time of suffering that we face as we live out our Christian lives. But Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, and made alive in the spirit. And here Peter's talking about two, the, the kind of physical realm that we see now, the creation. As Jesus entered the world, he was put to death in the flesh, in the physical realm. But then he was raised alive to live in the heavenly, heavenly realm in his resurrected form. And so put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. And we'll see again at the end there that everything is placed under him because of that. And then we get to verse 19 and 20, which if you re we'll read them again now, they don't make a lot of sense if we just read them, okay? So, made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Martin Luther said, these are amazing verses, and I don't really understand what Peter's trying to say here, and nobody ever will. So I'm not gonna try and tell you exactly what these verses mean because Martin Luther was far cleverer than I am. If you, if you look, there are probably over 100 different interpretations of these verses. Uh, it seems that the, the likelihood is that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, spoke through Noah to the people who were around Noah in Noah's day as Noah was building the ark. And that the message was one of salvation, of victory. The ark is here, you can get into it. And it was only Noah's family who got on board with him. But the key thing, the key thing is that the message of Jesus' victory is preached, is preached. If you wanna, if you wanna ask any more about those verses afterwards, then Jason's here. Or, uh, or I, can, I can explain a little bit about some of the reading that I did um, that kind of talks through why, uh, why it's likely that, those, that that's kind of a, a likely interpretation of those verses. But remember, the key thing is that Jesus has won a victory and Jesus, his message through, his, through the Holy Spirit of victory is preached. And we can hear and we can respond because Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And then Peter goes on to talk about baptism, corresponding to, to the ark and bringing through water. It's not the act of baptism 
that saves. And Peter is very clear on that. It's trust in Christ. It's our faith in Christ that saves us. But he points here, again, to this idea of a good conscience. And so baptism, not a removal of dirt, sin from the body. It's not the act of baptism that saves. But being baptized is a symbol of showing our trust in Christ and an appeal to God for that forgiveness of our sins. I have accepted Christ as my savior. And then the baptism is that symbol showing that we've accepted and that we're asking for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we see the final resurrection. So we appeal to God for a good conscience, how through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus has gone into heaven and is placed at the right hand of God. That's important. The right hand, sitting at the throne, the right hand, that's the place of authority. That's, that in, in um, first century Middle Eastern culture is God giving authority, his authority to Jesus. And we see that in the final bit of the verse there with angels, authorities, and powers, everything in this realm of the spirit, made alive in the spirit, and now everything, angels, authorities, and powers, subjected to him. So why should we have hope when we face suffering? Because Jesus died to bring us to God, and Jesus has gone into heaven and has God's authority with everything placed under him. Who is there to harm you when you are zealous for what is good? Who is there to harm you when you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling? Who is there to harm you eternally? No one. Because, because Jesus is in heaven with everything under him. And we await the day, if you turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, and we finally get to celebrate that. Why? Because blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept where? In heaven, where Jesus has all authority. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We might face opposition and suffering as we live out our Christian lives. But Peter tells us to focus on Christ 
to be prepared and to practice repentance so that we can face that suffering with a minimum amount of fear. And he tells us of the hope that we have when we face that opposition of Jesus raised from the dead, raised to heaven, raised to the position of authority in heaven with everything placed under him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these verses. We thank you that although they, uh, although they warn us that we may face opposition and suffering as we, uh, as we go about our Christian lives, about living our lives for you. Lord, we thank you that Peter gives us some practical advice in how to, uh, how to approach those situations. And Lord, we just pray that we would encourage each other to focus on Jesus, to be prepared to give a reason for our hope in Jesus. And to come to you in repentance, Lord, so that we have that good conscience, good standing before you. And Father, we pray that we would more and more believe and hope and trust in the, the glorious future that Jesus has for us and that you have for us in heaven. And we thank you for raising Jesus to that position of authority in heaven and placing everything, everything under him, Lord. And we thank you that we can have confidence in that because you are holding on to it for us.